Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Hope you guys are all doing well. Let's jump right in. The four slain students from the University of Idaho were only discovered deceased after a 911 call was placed on the morning of Sunday, November 13, 2022. That call came into the Moscow Police Department just before noon and was said to have originated from one of the two unharmed roommates' phones. The police have yet to name the roommate whose phone was used. Note that we now know that there was a third roommate as well. The authorities have stated that that person was not staying at the home at 1122 King Road in Moscow during the period when the crime occurred. During the 911 call, multiple people spoke to the 911 dispatch operator. They told the operator that there was an unconscious person requiring assistance. Some of the people who were allegedly at the home when the 911 call was placed have made Facebook and Instagram posts about what went down during this period on Sunday morning post the crime in order to defend the actions of the two surviving roommates. Because the police have yet to release the names of the students present at the house that morning, we cannot be 100% sure that these posts are legitimate. And we've seen creepy people create fake posts about true crime cases before. However, I thought it might be worthwhile to hear what these alleged witnesses had to say. Here is one of the posts, and I quote, and I'm just going to read a section of it and then talk about it and then continue with another section and so on. I am not stating this as fact. This is all not confirmed, hence the flare. For some reason, people refuse to see that, so I needed to re-emphasize if you do not like reading not confirmed information, then do not read. Saw this comment on Facebook and wanted to share it here because it clarifies everything and to stop people from speculating about the survivors. Supposedly, a few days after the crime, someone was asking question on the victim's past Instagram post about the survivors. Two of the people who were at the house with the roommates when the call was made quickly came to their defense, and this is supposedly what they said. Keep in mind, this is all alleged. Two people who claimed to be at the house with the roommates when the bodies were discovered quickly came to the surviving roommate's defense and wrote that the roommates woke up, went upstairs to the kitchen, noticed the sliding glass door was open, and it was during that time they discovered Ethan. They didn't say where he was found on the floor, but that it was horrific, that both girls went into shock and ran out of the house. One of the roommates fainted, and the other was beyond hysterical and not making any sense. Their frantic actions while coming out of the house caught the attention of people walking past. The people responded on the victim's IG, claimed to be two of those people. They implied that the roommate who fainted had already dialed 911, but was so distraught that she fainted before she could give any info that the dispatcher could understand. 
The only info that the bystander who picked up the roommate's phone could give the 911 dispatcher was she just saw her friend run out of the house and faint. That's how the 911 call was made on the roommate's phone and by someone else, and why the call went out for an unconscious person. While that bystander was on the phone with 911, the other roommate was hysterically trying to explain that something was wrong with Ethan. By this point, several more people had stopped to see what was happening, and one or two of them went into the house to see if they could help him. There were multiple people in the yard at that time, and those people began contacting their friends that someone in the house was badly hurt. Someone called Ethan's brother Hunter to tell him something was wrong with his brother because he lived close to the house, and someone called one of the other victim's boyfriend as he was also Ethan's best friend. They didn't go into detail on if either of those boys had arrived before the paramedics did, but it did kind of sounded like they did. They also didn't say if anyone went to check on the other roommates before the paramedics arrived, but it somewhat implied that someone had. The only details they gave about the scene itself was that it was incomprehensible bloody. While those people were in the house checking on Ethan and possibly the other roommates, the paramedics arrived to a very chaotic scene, believing they were there to assess an unconscious person outside, but were redirected to go inside to help someone who was hurt very badly. So they walked into the house unaware that it was a crime scene contaminated most of everything on the second floor. End quote. This scenario actually makes some sense. Why do I say that? Let me explain. Well, if one of the unharmed students ran out of the house and fainted, that would be an unconscious person. No one is going to mistake an unconscious person from a deceased person who has multiple messy wounds. And if the roommate who fainted was already in the middle of dialing 911 before she fainted, someone else would have to have picked up her phone to speak to the 911 dispatch operator. That would explain why someone other than the roommate who owned the phone was speaking to the dispatch operator, and why only an unconscious person was mentioned during the call. The only weak part of this scenario is the bit about the second roommate. I know they say she was in shock and unable to clearly articulate what she may have just witnessed inside the home, but you'd think she could spit out maybe two words like, dead body, right? But maybe not. People react differently to traumatic events. Maybe that second roommate really could not speak clearly at the point when the 911 call was taking place. Maybe she was panicked and unable to function. Perhaps only after the 911 call was made and completed, other people showed up and went inside the home. There, they discovered Ethan on the floor, allegedly. There have been persistent rumors about Ethan Chapin 
being found on the kitchen floor. So this scenario would make sense. Let me continue reading the post. It doesn't sound like the roommates were roaming throughout the house, carelessly contaminating everything, fully aware that their friends had been done in. They actually used the red rum word, but I didn't want to say that. Okay, back to the post. It sounds like the scene was contaminated by numerous people who were trying to help, unaware and unable to comprehend what they were looking at, and that it was a crime scene. My heart breaks for these two poor, innocent young females. Not only have they experienced a trauma so brutal that it cannot change who they are at their core, but they also have to live with the fear that someone might be coming for them, and the grief of loss of four friends plus a life that they once had that will never exist again. Back to the post. And if that wasn't traumatizing enough, they also get to live with millions of people publicly criticizing, persecuting, and incorrectly judging them for their actions, people assume they may have or not have taken. Some of the comments left on the IG pictures of the victims, especially the ones the survivors were tagged in, were beyond nasty, if not downright cruel. I don't understand how our society became so inhumane. It sounds like the two surviving roommates' behaviors were 100% appropriate for the situation they found themselves in. And I agree. Like I said, this all is alleged, but I think it explains a lot. I am marking this as information rather than theory because I am not making a theory myself. I'm just relaying information given by the individuals who were there when the call was made. Edit. We are all aware of the police's unconscious explanation. This post is not asking about how the police explained it. This post is relaying what the person who was there said about the call when it happened, according to someone in a Facebook group. What you choose to believe is your business. But legally, the police can say or withhold whatever information they want and have an incentive to hide this information because it reveals how contaminated the crime scene is and would make their chance of finding the person responsible even worse. I am sharing this knowing what the police's press release said because it doesn't take away from what the person said and can still offer a fresh perspective. End quote. So I ask yet again, is there any truth to this story? Have we seen anything to support this scenario? Well, early on, I did hear from a news source that Ethan's parents learned of his death from their other children who also attend the University of Idaho. So there's that. Also, there has been a persistent rumor floating around the true crime streets that Ethan Chapin was found on the floor. The police have not said that, but this has come up in many a Reddit post. Of course, we cannot trust Reddit, but sometimes truth is shared there. And recently, a photo taken from outside the house, looking into the kitchen window, showed more of those reddish hue drips of what looks to be the stuff that runs through all our veins. 
on some kitchen cabinetry. The rivulets in this photo from the kitchen, the drips, match those seen on an exterior wall of the home. If those drips in the kitchen turn out to be the red stuff that runs through our veins, it would seem to indicate that someone who is bleeding or someone with a fair amount of that red stuff on their clothes and body was standing, at least for a second, next to the cabinetry. The rivulets indicate that the substance began at the top of the cabinet and gravity made it flow downward toward the floor. So either one of the students who was injured or the perpetrator, who was likely drenched in red, was standing there at some point. But of course, we don't yet know if the substance dried on the kitchen cabinetry is truly the red stuff, although that pattern on the cabinetry looks identical to the one that we saw on the exterior wall of the house. The only people who have shared information about where the students were found deceased are, one, the Lata County coroner, who stated that all the students were found deceased in bed, and two, Kaylee Gonsalves's father, who let it slip at the candlelight vigil held in honor of his daughter and her three friends, that Kaylee was found deceased in bed with her best friend, Maddie Mogan. Now, if Ethan's brother did turn up at the house on Sunday morning, he and Ethan's best friend likely did some additional checking at the house. I'm pretty sure they would have been curious to see if Ethan's girlfriend, Zana Cornado, was okay. And if they found her as well, they would have likely headed up to the third floor where they would have come upon Kaylee and Maddie. This would explain why we've heard friends were in the home and they may have contaminated the crime scene to some extent. We also heard that when the paramedics came and went inside and found a gruesome crime scene instead of one unconscious person, they were shocked. This scenario would explain all of that, and it would also explain what seemed like odd behavior by the two surviving roommates. Many people have attacked these two roommates, which is unfair. Can you imagine how traumatized these young women are at this point? No matter what, they were there in that house, either sleeping or awake, when the crime went down. What do you guys think? Could this be how the 911 call went down? Does it seem plausible to you? Let me know in the comments. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, now do me a favor, hit that like button, subscribe to my channel, share the video, and if you want to support the channel, you can now do so through a membership.